0: The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
1: Hello and welcome to the Newcastle Natter. My name is Fergus Craig and I am joined by Paul Doolan. Hello. And Dave Watson. I've missed you, boys. I'm so happy to say that we're all still alive. None of us are dead. It's been so long (laughs) since we last recorded a podcast, the last time we did a podcast. We were all in, it was so long ago, we were all in Edwardian dress. (laughs) 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 It has been a long time since we did a podcast. No, like, there's just been a number of things that have prevented it from happening. And um, I think on some occasions, just apathy. On some occasions, uh, coronavirus. My household's been hit by it. I know yours has as well, Paul.
3: Yeah. Yeah, me, uh, mine too.
1: So we've all had our debate of coronavirus. I had norovirus last week. That was fun. Dave, you've had your kitchen done. There's been any number of reasons. Mm. Um,
2: nothing glamorous, though, for such a long nothing- break.
1: Well, norovirus was quite...
2: <laughs> How glamorous was it?
1: Do you know, I lost weight. Not enough, but you know. Yeah. It was... Uh, Mainly it was, fluids? Was, yeah. Yeah, it was a glamorous affair. It's a brutal night. But, um, yeah. But, uh, so we've had a lot of games since the last podcast. The last podcast came out on March the 1st. And since then... I think it's fair to say. I, I, our form had already upturned before we last recorded a podcast, but since then, it's been pretty good. Until our most recent game against Liverpool, we had won six home games in a row. I don't think that... I think I can confidently say that hasn't happened in the whole history of the Newcastle Natter, which is a long...
2: Yeah, upturned. History. <laughs> it's good to have these historical amazing runs and just miss it.
1: <laughs> Considering yeah, some really.
2: some of the shite we turned up every week for <laughs> championship yeah. seasons where we couldn't have even seen the game. <laughs> I mean, we we were still were there for turn the, up in card. We were there for
3: ten games without a win. We've been there for fourteen games without a win. As soon as we go on a decent run, ah, fuck it, That's too easy. let's have a kitchen done or
1: shit ourselves. That sounds boring, much more asking. Yeah. What is there to talk about? What is there to talk about? Oh. oh, yeah, yeah, we played good,
2: yeah. I think the thing now, though, is like, anytime we want to go on a good run, we need Dave to have a, a lucky kitchen refurb <laughs> to try and engineer an upturn in form.
1: Yeah. So, um, yeah. well, luckily... And uh, we lost our most recent game, and that has allowed. That's why we're back. That's <laughs> driven us. <laughs> has driven us to the, to the pod table. Um, we only pod and when I, we're losing. So, yeah, and also um, I'm delighted to say I actually attended this game. It's the first game I've been to it since James's for fucking years, and um, it was supposed to be
2: Ferguson Paul's big day out. Wasn't it, Paul? It was. And Paul I, was unable to. I told you to book the train tickets because I was free. Then yeah. check the calendar downstairs. And my wife had a friend's 40th that had been in there for months. <laughs> so I was like, any any chance you don't want to go to that? <laughs> it's just an order, isn't it? Book the
1: tickets, then check the calendar.
2: Well, i checked the calendar... Plan i checked my Gmail calendar. I had, there's a physical calendar downstairs. And it's, I, I see, mean, this yeah. this incident has led to a new regime of a shared Google calendar, so some good has come <laughs> out of it. Lessons have Fine. been learned.
1: Well, I'm happy to say that I, had you not suggested that we go to this game, then I certainly wouldn't have chosen to spend six hours on a train on my own and <laughs> <laughs> to go and see a Newcastle game that I knew we would lose. But I'm glad that I did. I, uh, I, I went to the game against Liverpool all by myself. And uh, I'm glad that I did. It was an early kick-off. So early train, Paul, on my own. Yeah. Hey, I Did, you take, did you
3: take a can on the train?
1: No, not my own, Dave. It's a bit, you know, no.
2: Why right.
1: <laughs> Why not? Well, I don't, I, do you know what, actually, and I'll talk about this. I actually, I, I quite enjoyed taking pre-game booze out of it. I mean, I was about two, three days out away from, um, norovirus, right? So I wasn't like massively keen on pre-noon drinking, um, Arrived at the stadium like, about an hour before kickoff. Nice. Didn't Did you really enjoy think... the flags? Well, this is what I'm going to say. I, like, I am a, I do, a major convert to flags, right? Uh, the, yeah. the, the, the atmosphere, long-time listeners will know that I've got a real aversion to flags. Not an aversion. I've never been against flags.
2: I, just I think I've got the thing quite... to point out. Fergus's parents were killed by semaphore, so there is a legitimate reason
1: no, to, to be totally honest, I've never, to be clear, I've never been against flags. It's just when War Flags started, and everyone started with that a couple of years ago, I thought it was a little odd that the amount of fervour about the flags and the fact that people were donating money to flags instead of, like, charities. <laughs> I just thought it was a bit like, fucking hell, I, I just, like, just suddenly, like, oh, we all love flags now, do we? And it, I was just a bit surprised by how into flags people were. But having said that, I went to the game, and because I wasn't bothered about having a pre-match pint, I went and I was very excited to be at St. James's Park, and I had a very nice seat booked for me by Paul Doolan (laughs) in the (laughs) East Stand, a really, really lovely seat. So I sat there, I got the programme, sat there half an hour early, watched them warm up, soaked up the atmosphere. We'd obviously just won our last six home games. So there was clearly a very positive attitude in the stadium. Incredible atmosphere and a lot of lovely flags. And I really loved the flags. So, you know. You know what? I'm not, I'm, I'm not going to take the mic. I'm genuinely
3: happy that you enjoyed the flags. And I'm genuinely pleased
1: good i'm not going to start i'm not going to move my charity donations to towards flags from,
3: from shelter to,
1: to flag.
3: but, you know. you've not been flag washed
1: no but you know i liked the flags so good there we go one one other thing observation from being at the game so early because i always have drinks beforehand and always get in right before kickoff and actually it's really nice to sit there in your seat and like watch it build up. I've really enjoyed
2: that. And I will I want to do that more often now. Well, I think watch as well, it's it's not miserable to do that at Newcastle anymore. I think it was mm. sort of I think that's more of a recent change. I think there's a lot a lot more people getting in early now. Yeah. Maybe, yeah. Yeah, it was it was really busy ten minutes before
1: kickoff. I mean, by by like Five minutes before kick-off, there was, it was pretty much full. Um, but the, I watched the players warm up. Both sides were doing um, two-touch, I guess it was, basically, like just in a closed space. The, the the squad who were playing were doing a quick little game of, I guess it looked like they were playing two-touch to me. and hit my little observation from that. Alan St-Maximin. Everyone else, two touches. Alan Maximan, try and take on three players, 15 touches. <laughs> <laughs> it was just, I think I just learned, he cannot be coached. He cannot be persuaded to not do that, even in a game of two-touch.
2: Yeah, that he is, will, I mean, we might come on to him at some point, but there, that does seem to be a worry at the moment. Well, yeah, let's talk about the, the game.
1: You both watched the game, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, you watched it on TV. I was obviously there, but you watched it on TV. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, Dave, what were your impressions of the match? Um and what you were able to pick up from the series? Yeah.
3: It was, I don't think we were at our best. I don't think they were, I think they were much changed as well. And I thought that, um, to get anything out of that game, we would have needed to be at our best and catch them on half the day. However, we, we kept uh, arguably the best side in Europe to a one nil. And they had a couple of chances, but so did we. I thought it was, it was fine. It was like what we are now, which is a mid table side. Um, Losing to to a title challenging side, so it was good. It was fine. I don't know what else to say about it because it's been that long since we've done one of these things. But no, it was it was all right. Got on the
1: rules of football. I, well, uh, I've
2: got more to say, but go on, Paul. <laughs> yeah, I I was a little bit underwhelmed by just sort of Liverpool weren't really in first gear at all, and we. We didn't really lay a glove on them. I think the one-nil was very, very flattering. I think the select I think starting St. Maximin up front is fine against Norwich, but I was very surprised there was no Chris Wood. I found that mm. a bit odd because we've done was it Manu or Chelsea we did that against before? And you just thought, well, we've we've hopefully learned that doesn't really work. But I, I don't know. We were always in the game, so it was kind of exciting. But at the same time, you always thought, even if we do score, Liverpool will get out of fifth, third gear, and just go and score up the other end.
1: Yeah, for the first ten minutes, off the back of that atmosphere, I think genuinely, off the back of the flags, for the first ten minutes, we were, we felt like the better side to me, and it was it was quite exciting. You know, we were offering something going forward. But like you say, if it felt like Liverpool never even though it wasn't their their first choice squad, uh, first 11 at all. They never really had to get out of first or second gear. And we really didn't. I I agree that the scoreline was flattering. Mane missed quite a few chances. De had to make quite a few saves.
3: That's one thing, actually. I did want to say it's nice to see that he's still got that in his locker because, um, under the resurgence, under how he's not really been put under as much pressure as he has done previously. So, for him to to be relied upon so much in a game and actually deliver, it's quite reassuring to know that that he's got that.
1: Yeah, I don't, and this is obviously not a criticism, but I I think all of his saves, you You'd kind of expect a Premier League goalkeeper to make, but mm. you know, it did, you know, you did you did well. Yeah. You
2: know, you can only save what you put in front of you. I but, think um, as well a sort of caveat to: we were a bit underwhelming, but we were playing one of the best Premier League sides of all time. I would say definitely,
1: mm. and they. Think like a, too-
2: what really, um, obviously, being at
1: the game, uh, being you know there. <laughs> No, what really got me was I was expecting to see. I was expecting to see, like, I associate Liverpool with attacking flair and dominance. And they didn't, I mean, they were dominant, but they, there wasn't, they didn't, it wasn't this stunning attacking performance. But defensively, and I, I agree that I probably would, should have started, or maybe just basically, we, we've got a long way to go in terms of our attack, basically, mm. in terms mm. of our actual players, in terms of additions that are needed. And I'm not talking about to compete at the, with the likes of Liverpool. I'm talking about just to become a top eight side. Like we've, We didn't offer that much going forward at all, but defensively, they were impenetrable. They were just Mm. incredible. It was just... I think we were caught off sides nine times and
3: I think that's a, uh, that's a season high. Um, Yeah. Yeah. And I think the frustration, the frustrating thing about being caught offside is once you've been caught a couple of times, would like, well, not a couple of times, but if you've been caught like three or four times, there must be the gamble in the coach's head to either try a different tack and stop trying to get the ball through to beat the offside trap. And then there's the other side of it's like well yeah they've caught us these couple of times but they must be playing a high line. So if we do break that trap, we'll be clean through. So there must be like a like a a gamble for a head coach to go, you know, A or B.
1: Yeah, I mean there was that disallowed goal from Almirón. Um I suppose we should talk about their goal because in the stadium, it looked like to to all of us who were actually at the match, who were actually there, <laughs>
2: um, it, looked, <laughs> it, it looked like a, a foul. Hmm. Yeah, I think that's just the, the naivety that comes from that sort of mob mentality. I think for us as students of the game who like to have that distance from the, the TV yeah. and sort of yeah. assess all the stats and not get caught up in this kind of baying mob, kind of, it was, it was very obviously not a foul. I think Cher just overstretched himself and then, yeah. I think it was genuinely hurt.
1: I mean, it was a lesson in how...
3: Flags can influence you?
1: Flags. No, Well, in how, I mean, it did look like a foul for I think most people there and how a whole stadium can have, cause you know, we were doing okay up until that point and then a whole stadium can have a real sense of injustice and just decide that the referee, you know, there were a few decisions that the, the crowd just decided that the referee was against us. And mm-hmm. there was absolute rage that there was a, a, a total injustice had been done. and, and, I'm I'm guessing for pretty much everyone there, when the game finished, they looked and went, "Oh, oh, I guess we were wrong about that," and then they never <laughs> thought about it ever again. Do you know what I mean? That like, never, yeah. and we'll do exactly the same next, next the following week. And that's not Newcastle fans; that's all football fans.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: You just together, you just go. You know, you look for a re- for some kind of injustice, something that's that's unfair, rather than going, "Oh, well, maybe."
2: Yeah, we've had a lot of games recently where the talk on Twitter beforehand has been like, "Oh, that ref's family are all Liverpool fans," and that kind of thing. But I think that would have been flagged up as an issue further, like but, previously. And also, Australia. and Mike Dean we, and VAR was like, "Yeah, well,
3: he hates us." So
2: <laughs>
3: the, every, the thing that but every the thing football that gets team's me...
2: fans think Mike Dean hates them. It's just he's just not a very oh, yeah. good ref. <laughs> It's crazy, though, it's because we don't... We've got
3: nothing really to play for anymore. So I think we're creating this, like, I don't know, enmity where there is none.
1: I think it's just a, in, in general, you know. And it's, it's <clears throat> I, it almost... It's a sign of the atmosphere is so good at the moment. There's a lot of positivity that people they're not directing that energy towards the negative energy towards the the manager or the board or the players mm. they're directing it to the opposition or to the referee Do you know what I mean this there's, there's even if it's a completely incorrect rage at least it's not yeah. directed at ourselves yeah. which is what it's been like for the last few years um uh Yeah, what else? Should we talk about some individual performances and and just players over the last... Let's let's have a break. That's what we should do. I haven't done a podcast for so fucking long. I forgot that we're we're, um, sponsored by some of the biggest companies on earth. And that is how we make so much cash. So um, let's have a quick break now so we can bring in that sweet, sweet cash. And uh, we'll see you after the break. Welcome back to the Newcastle Natal. Good break, guys. Lovely. Tickety-boo. Good. I've got a couple of questions on uh, Joe Linton. Um, I'll fire them both at you. Uh, one from Sean Morgan. He says: Should Joe Linton stay in midfield permanently despite his last two starts in the front three? And uh, Alex Bagley, who's looking for sort of who, who's offering up controversial opinions, which he describes he describes these opinions as controversial. and One of them is everyone is over, overreacting to Joe Linton's play. He should be sold. Uh, Paul, opinions on Joe Linton in the Liverpool game and and basically
2: in over the course of the last couple of months? I think there's definitely, he has been amazing in that central midfield role, but I was glad to see him put back in that kind of left forward role as well to feel like, we shouldn't dismiss how good he is in that role based on him being played as a number nine for the start of his career in a new country. I feel like he can do quite a good job there. It was nice to see, I mean, the bizarre moment of the Norwich game where Joe Linton was on a hat trick, I still couldn't quite get my head around.
3: Yeah. yeah. It was so it was interesting in the Norwich game, definitely he started up front like as a number nine, but within about 15, 20 minutes, it wasn't working out. So how shifted him to the, to the left and put some maximum through the middle. And to be fair, that could have been like a game tactic to throw them off. I don't know, but that's what transpired. And as soon as he's, he's shifted out, out to the left, pops up with a couple of goals. Um, I, I'm genuinely torn on this because I think his best features uh, his athleticism, his endeavour, his energy, his disruptive ability—that that that like um, those characteristics benefit the team most when they're in the centre. I don't think you get you you benefit as much if you put them out on the left. And I think we can buy better left-sided for for the forward line. Even St. Maximum out there on the left is more effective than he is in the centre. So you're talking really either putting Joe Linton out there and not playing St. Maximum or St. Maximum in his right position and Joe Linton in, in the centre. I say keep him in the centre. I mean, he was up there with like Declan Rice in terms of centre midfield as a disruptive centre midfielder, so... Yes, keep him there.
2: I think he's. I would rather have seen. Go on, Paul. I was going to say, he's definitely pushed his way ahead of Joe Willock and Sean Longstaff for a starting place as a central midfielder. Mm-hmm. As I'm not sure he's necessarily pushed his way ahead of St Maximin or even Almiron for one of those forward spots. But I think as well, there's no. Like his versatility is a positive. I don't think we need to treat it as a problem. I think mm-hmm. we're going forward, we're going to be upgrading a lot of positions and he's that sort of useful player who can you sort of need that in your squad who can fill in quite a few roles against yeah.
1: Liverpool I would have much rather have seen saint Maximan on the left and Joe Linton in midfield I mean being being at the game um I uh, <laughs> you, you really I really you really saw that Joe Linton's sort of, like, fight, right? You know, that's that's obviously what's one uh, one of the major things that's won people over. He, like, is constantly on at the referee. He's constantly in little uh, disputes with opposition players. He's obviously got a lot of character. It didn't, in that particular match, it wasn't really working for him at all on the left. Um Whereas, although I don't think uh, I think Saint Maximin is really hot and cold, I would basically I can see Joe Linton still being a valued player next season. Yeah, in midfield, but I really hope that we've got better options
2: wide left. I think as well part of the reason for Joe Linton being wide left and Saint Maximum in the middle against Liverpool. It's that that acknowledgement that you're not going to get the defensive side of the game from St. Maximin. He's not going to track back or doesn't have the tactical discipline of somebody like Joel Linton, doesn't press as well as Joel Linton. I I think you can get away without St. Maximin if he's producing the goods at the same time. But he's in a run at the moment where we're not getting the defensive or the attacking sides of him at all. I think it's now 11 games
3: without a goal um, and the only assist that he's got in the last few games that I can think of was against Norwich where he rolled the ball and it was aimed at Longstaff, but it rolled through to Joe Linton to sweep home. So, yeah, it's not, it's not working out for him at the minute and don't, I don't know what the answer is.
1: We recorded the beginning to this podcast twice. Did I talk about St Maximin in the warm-up? The first time we did it, or in this one?
2: <laughs> did
1: it talk about flags the first time
2: we did it, or this one? Yes, he talked about flags this time. This time, okay. Yeah, but I think I don't. I, don't he, think, I think, think it mentioned. was this time. I think it was. Okay. No, but okay. yeah, I'll, I'll first say time it. for listeners. There was Fergus. Just had so much racist content we had to start again. <laughs> that is not true, Paul.
1: Don't say that, people. Will believe it. Um yeah, I find him an enormously frustrating player. He can be amazing. But there was a while ago when I was thinking build a team around set maximum. He's worth he's gonna go. If he goes, he's gonna go for 50, 60 million. Now I'm I'm really not
2: sure about that at all. I don't, I... No, I think he benefited before, you could argue from Steve Bruce and his man management style, but I think he benefited more before from the fact we didn't really have much in the way of tactics or a game plan. So the whole plan was get it to St Maximin and let him take everyone on. Whereas I think now... The way we set up, there's so much more that he has to do to merit a place in this team. I think he's he's going through a bad patch. I, I think Howe is a good enough manager to get a tune out of St Maximum, but it's I never really worried before he was going to be like a Ben Arthur, whereas I kind of do now. And you sort of think, in this team, mm. it's hard to see how you can justify that sort of player. It just feels like he's capable of total
1: brilliance but his contributions are completely reliant on brilliance.
3: Like yeah,
1: he, he has to beat three players and then score or put in a good cross or he's
2: not really doing much for you.
1: <laughs> it's a
2: situation I think would be very believable, but I wonder what your take would be. If Fulham came in in the closed season with a £40 million offer for him, would you take it?
3: Um. Yeah, I would. Cause I know that we could get Luca Paqueta for thirty five, forty million.
2: I know no, that no, we no. could
3: he's from Leon, he's basically um Bruno Guerrier's best, best mate. Friend. Best mate. And he's really good. And there's there's loads of like there's loads of attacking midfielders who would Do more defensively than St. Maximum does, who might not have the end product, well, no, who might not have the promise of end product that he does, but certainly work better in a team than he does for 30 to 40 million pounds. St. Maximum's are basically like Wilfred Zahar. But
1: Zahar's really good. Yeah, I would say Zahar has over uh, the seasons that Sam asman has been in the Premier League so Zaha's probably had a much big, bigger output you
3: know in terms oh of yeah yeah. And no no I, I wasn't sorry I wasn't meaning that they are the same quality I'm just saying or, or even the same like end product I just they are kind of the same where they need to be the main man and everything goes through them and you know, if it doesn't then they don't shine and that could be to the detriment of the side a uh,
1: couple of questions on Bruno Guimaraes. Uh Paul M says welcome back fellas it's been a while which was the last player to make as big an impression as Bruno in his first few games um, Trippier uh, ben, 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 yeah, yeah <laughs> says no Barefoot says that now that Bruno is here, is Richie no longer fucking magic? Did Bruno even have his own magic hat or has he stolen Richie's? Bruno, yeah, he's...
2: I special. Yes, I, I think he is special. I don't think he had a great game against Liverpool. No, I think he really struggled for space in that game. I think a bit of that is... Like he's said himself how tough it is getting used to this league, the amount of time you get on the ball. I think against Norwich, he had one of the yeah. easiest times he'll have in the Premier League. Liverpool against it was Milner and Henderson as well. It was sort of set up to snuff everything out in the middle and they did a very mm. good job on him. Milner because, I th-
1: is 37. He is still such a good <laughs> player. <laughs> yeah. Unbelievable.
3: We signed him as like a... What,
2: how old was he when we signed him? Like twenty eighteen. 18? Was he really twenty-one? Oh, maybe it was younger than that. He was seventeen when he broke into the Leeds team, wasn't he? Yeah, I thought. I
3: thought he was. I mean, he might be twenty-one, but I honestly thought he was still a teenager when we signed him. And even then, he looked, you know, good. But what a
1: fucking career that man's had! Yeah. But Bruno.
2: Yeah, sorry, uh, Bruno.
1: His, his goal output has been a lot more than his stats before he came to us suggest that it might be. Mm.
3: I mean part of that could be that the role that he was playing at Leon was was much more defensive and there was a there's a lot a lot like a greater number of attacking players ahead of him. So he wasn't he wasn't needed to be there. He was needed to be in a more defensive position. But he's got the fucking technique I mean that goal against Norwich lifted over Kroll impudent it was
2: beautiful finish it was very very nice I can't remember the last time a Newcastle player scored whether you class that as a chip or a dink I don't know but it's, it's Scoop I don't think it was Scoop I'm not sure no Scoop's got more height yeah maybe a dink he's you know like obviously all Premier League footballers are very
1: fit but you know players who just look like just they just don't look like they've got any fat on them, but yet they're muscly. They just look like it. Just looks like such a ball of energy. It Just looks so <laughs> fish.
3: <laughs> you oh, just, sexy! You no, know, just look. <laughs> you just look but, but by comparison, when Almirón scored and whipped off his shirt, uh oh, he didn't yeah, look. Yeah. He looked no. sickly. Uh,
2: yeah. yeah, Alboron looked like someone you would meet in your cell on your first day of prison and think, oh, yeah. fuck.
3: <laughs> he looked a little bit machinist. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Just a...
1: Albaron looks like the mad
2: kid on a caravan holiday. He <laughs> 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 looks like, like he's had a lot of E numbers. Yeah. yeah. talking talk <laughs> like, until 4 a.m. Yeah, just a kid who's like—he just looks like, like a kid who's
1: never had a bedtime. <laughs> <laughs> but, but Bruno, Bruno looks like a boxer. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, like yeah. Like he's got that
2: sort of boxer's shape.
1: But as I, well, I think I
2: he's love The start of his time with us, I think, has been managed very well. Hmm. I think. There's been time, considering our league position and the relegation threat, it would have been very tempting to go, oh, he's good, <laughs> starting straight away. Mm. But we have, I think he's been managed very well. And well, I think we will. It's improving. Eddie, Eddie
1: Howe, and I'm sure he deserves a lot of credit for this,
2: but he was fortunate in
1: that there worst three midfielders actually keeping him out of the side.
2: Yeah. True,
1: true. Um, Joe Linton, Shelby and Willett, wasn't it?
2: I think his goal output as well, him being further up the field, is a lot of that is just down to Shelby hitting the best form probably since his first few games at the club.
3: Mm. And Joel Linton, yeah, I think, yeah, I, I I would expect he once we buy better players ahead of him, he won't be relied upon as much, or well, not, not even. I mean, the goal he scored against Leicester. I don't know from where he got that energy from? Because it was like the ninety-fourth minute. Yeah, he wasn't even on the fucking screen when Willock started off. Like proper
2: flying header as well. Yeah,
3: I think some somebody said it. It was like he came from a different channel. Like it was unbelievable. Like it's. I I love him so much. I, I genuinely, he he's the player that we're going to build a team around. It's not going to be some maximum. It's not going to be Trippier. It's, it's going to be Bruno and What a team that could be.
1: Uh, Andy Sheldon says, uh, Bruno has been a top signing and not cheap, but do you see us going big on a marquee signing in the summer like Man City did with Robino? We'll carry on with the sensible
2: and effective
1: signings.
2: I That's think it think will be more of the same in terms. I think some of the signings we made in the... January window with survival in mind I don't think we'll be signing more players in the mould of like Chris Wood but I don't think we'll be going for your Robinho's either I think it'll be more in the mould of Bruno sort of players with the right attitude who've got a career ahead of them and are highly rated more quite a bit more about potential than being like here's a Galactico I don't think I don't think financially we can do that anyway
3: Right. I think there's there's also an argument to be made that we can sign players who are not not in the twilight of their years but certainly you know they've had their peak like Trippier. Like if we if we went off and signed and I'm not saying we would but if we went off and found like a James Milner, like a pro who's been a big character for years, is got experience at the top level, has still got the energy to play the way we could go off and
2: sign someone like that. and Duff. Well, it feels like Trippier is kind of that signing. I think if that's available. No, 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 available. But if, if there is somebody
3: else out there that is like that, then we could go off and sign them. We don't have to go for Hugo Etikiti or whatever his name is, the teenager. We can go off and sign like a Matt Target who's solid and will is much better than what we've got. And the benefit that this these new owners have is that quite a lot of our squad have much better players available ahead of them. Like, it's easy to improve on John Joe Shelby or Sean Longstaff
2: or, you know.
1: This has been underplayed, I think, quite a bit by Newcastle fans and probably overplayed by fans of other clubs. But I do think we forget sometimes that In the January transfer window, we did spend more than any other club in the whole of Europe. And yes, we forget that because we spent it on players like Dan Byrne and Chris Wood, and we didn't sign Galacticos. But we did spend a lot of money, and that is, and I think fans of other clubs and pundits and the like just have been looking at us and going, well, you spent 90 million, obviously your form
2: turned around. I think we kind of feel under attack from that as well. But then there's a lot of Newcastle fans who, there's a weird logic goes on of, well, we didn't sign glamorous players, we signed these sort of players. And they've done amazingly well and they've done better than we expected. It's like So the money has had the impact you would expect the money to have. They've just not had foreign surnames, most of them. But it is still...
3: yeah. We've think, managed to
2: fill in a lot of gaps in a squad and sign good players.
3: I think what I what I would look at is the the transfer business that we did overall. And so we signed we spent 115 million this season and that hundred and fifteen million might get us like ninth. Um it could maybe only get us 14th or something like that. But you look at how much some other clubs have spent fairly recently. And it's, it's across the season. It's about a hundred million quid. So yeah, I'm not saying I, that... d- I don't think it's largesse. Yes and I don't think like that money, I don't think that money coming like the 90 million we spent in January. It's too easy to say, Oh, that's why you survived because the, the players who've had the biggest uptick in, in performance and the players who've been, really vital to our survival and our surge up the table are players like Joe Linton, John Joe Shelby, Fabian Cher, Emil Kraft, like players who are already there who just getting yeah.
1: There's, there's something to be said for both sides, right? I'm just like Newcastle fans can obviously see because we're watching the games, can see a bigger picture that other pundits and the like are just saying Because there's, let's do it. Oh, there's the talk now of should Eddie Howe be in the talk for manager of the season? Right, that's Mm -hmm.
3: some. So before before you make,
1: Dave? Just very quickly,
3: would you have him in the conversation for manager of the year? Just like yes or no?
1: Yes, I think I think he should be in the conversation. I don't think he should probably get it, but I don't think I agree. I I don't think it's silly to put him in the conversation. Now, what I'll cool. say is that um, a lot of talk sporty people, people who don't watch all our games will say, well, Newcastle spent 90 million and their form went up. Big surprise, right? That's mm. obviously unfair because those of us who watch the games have, like you say, seen a number of players markedly improve, but that, outlay has made a big difference in improving those players as well probably and I don't think I think we as Newcastle fans probably underplay the fact that in the top five leagues in Europe there's like what 100 teams and out of all 100 teams in January we spent the most Yeah, <laughs> that, that has to like we can't just go yeah but that doesn't count I mean, no. like, it does mean something, right?
2: I think it's but the way we spent it. Anyhow, well. doesn't
1: mean credit. Deserve credit, or it doesn't mean that, like.
3: So that—that's actually the point. Is certainly in his role at Newcastle, it, he he picked those signings. Is that not also a yeah, a
2: mark absolutely. like in it's his favour? So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Of yeah. I think weird. I think he's in the conversation, but you've got. Probably the two best managers in the world right now, managing the two best teams in the world in this league. <laughs> so it's sort of he's in the conversation, but to the same extent as the Burnley managers in the conversation, I would say, who's got a better points per game than Eddie Howe? And I think it's just
1: football fans in general, and I notice it more with Newcastle fans. We either our manager is either always the worst manager in the history of football <laughs> yeah. or should be manager of the season. He's done an incredible job. It's like, there's no in-between. It is always, it's either Steve Bruce or it's Rafa Benitez. In our, in our own, like they're either an absolute God you could not <laughs> criticise and
2: say a single bad thing about. Despite the I've same done. league position and points total. Oh, you don't you
3: fucking, don't
2: you fucking. <laughs> He's the worst. That he's a fraud. He's a. I hear him. Or he should. You should get a ten-year contract. So for Eddie, and Ed, uh,
1: luckily for Eddie Howe, he has early on been labelled as this, and <laughs> rightly so he has. He has done very well. He's done amazingly. He's done incredibly well, but he's luckily he's getting into sort of beatification levels and that's going to serve him well, which uh, Alan
2: Pardew didn't manage to achieve, despite taking us no. Uh I want a meme of Eddie Howe looking up to the cloud, asking how I'm doing, and Amanda Staveley looking down from heaven, saying, you'll do for me, kid. That's what I want. That feels the way our fan base is going at the minute, if Twitter this, this, is to be believed, this- which it isn't.
3: This conversation is remarkably similar to the one that Paul and I had outside a pub on Wednesday.
2: Which I couldn't go to because... Yeah, we met up in person. I was, it was lovely, I, Paul.
1: I was sitting on my bathroom floor. <laughs>
3: <laughs> I, I honestly think that the the work that Eddie Howe has done deserves a huge amount of credit. And yeah. yes, there's an argument that... Um, Klopp and Guardiola have deserved to win manager of the year because they're challenging for four trophies or whatever. But or whatever. fuck off. Just, just that Whatever. I mean, to be fair, you were saying like, well, does he really deserve it? Because we have spent 90 million. How much have those two clubs spent to build a, build teams that are capable of challenging on all fronts? And how long have they been in the job? So they've had time to instil their ethos into these, you know, billion-pound squads. How long have they had it? But, no, let's give them a a little pot as well, because,
1: you know... I totally get where you're coming from. I I get it. But, I mean, there's... Yeah, they've had all that money to spend, but they're also basically, like... They are the two... It's not just... They've been given all that money, and they are also the two sort of architects
2: of where football is now. I think if Klopp or Guardiola got manager of the year, most fans would sort of think, uh, fair enough. The Liverpool or Man City fans, depending on which one's manager didn't get it, would think it was an outrage. And Newcastle mm -hmm. fans would think it was an outrage. If Eddie Howe got manager of the season, most people would be quite surprised. Yeah. You know, they're two like exponents of like their own style of football. Yeah, mm. Eddie Howe can still have done a really, really good job and outperformed what any of us expected and performed miracles, but still be the third best manager in the league. Well, we've got three yeah.
1: games. We've got three games left this season. Um, two of which you'd have to say are pretty tough. The next two.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, with our next game, let's just talk about we've we've got. Man City away, followed by Arsenal at home, followed by Burnley away. We'll deal with Arsenal and Burnley on future pods, which we'll hopefully actually do. But our next game is against Manchester City. So we've just faced Klopp. Now we're going to face Guardiola. Um,
2: we managed not to get battered by Liverpool. Are we going to get battered by Man City, Paul? I feel like we might get battered by Man City. It's away from home. It's Man City. They battered us at home. There's not... There's no shame in it. No, I don't I don't think it's... I think maybe we'll... I hope we give a better account of ourselves than we did against Liverpool. I think we're... For us to get anything, we're going to need what didn't happen against Liverpool is every player to... Individually turn up and have a blinder. You need Almiron to be beating plays. You need St. Maximin to be not giving away possession every, like from the halfway line, every third time he gets the ball. In the Mm.
1: second half, when it
2: against Liverpool, when it felt like
1: Mm.
2: we just didn't have
1: any ideas and it wasn't going anywhere, I really wanted us to bring on. Chris Wood, who unfortunately so far isn't the striker I want him to be for us. Mm. You know, I mean, I want him to be peak Andy Carroll, you know, <laughs> in terms of an, a, a nuisance. But I also did realise that that wouldn't even really work against Liverpool. No, because it's so fucking amazingly central defensively. But actually, if I against Man City, I would want to start Chris Wood.
3: Yeah, uh, I think I think uh, he will as well.
1: Uh, yeah, and, and I hope that he can cause some problems for their central defense.
2: I think I we'll mean. see Joe Linton go back into midfield as well. Be very surprised mm. if that doesn't happen. Well, do you
3: remember uh, ages ago where um, Hayden and Longstaff, um, their physicality unnerved Guardiola's oh, yeah. side? I'd like to see Joe Linton and um, Gumieres, plus maybe might be worth having like long staff and just get them to do a lot of running, a lot of pressures because that's like off the ball. Our performances off the ball have improved um, just astoundingly. We are so much better now defensively. So that could be the way to do it and almost like stifle them and just unnerve them. I know that their defenders have got a mistake in them. So, I think that's the only way you can really get at Man City. Because if we try to just park the bus, we'll get we'll get unpicked by their better yeah. players. And if we try and match them toe-to-toe, we'll get absolutely bottom bumped.
2: I so, think our best bet is pressing them. But yeah. I, I'm not sure St. Maximum is the right player for that. But I think if Ryan Fraser was fit, St. Maximum would be a... Bigger argument for him not starting, but I think Maxman will start.
3: Because mm. you kind of have to, because like you say, we don't have the options. Mm. And also he he could be the guy that like we it could be like nil nil into the 67th minute, and he just decides to go on one of these ridiculous runs, and it works.
1: Okay, so score predictions, Dave.
3: Hold oh, like we're gonna lose 3 0
2: sure Paul I was going to say
1: 4-1 I was going to say 4-1 I'm going to say I'm going to say a perfectly respectable 4-0 I'm going to say like <laughs> 1-0 at 1 and know one nil at half time to them let's score another goal on 60 minutes and they'll we'll get
2: a quick two
1: after 80 minutes and it'll be 4-0 but we'll feel that like we did alright <laughs> that's my
3: I I tell you what, it's lovely going into these like the previous game, this game, and the next game, not needing anything. Yeah.
2: Boring. It's boring. We still had Bruce. (laughs) We'd have something to fight for. (laughs) I think we'd be down with Norwich and Watford already. Probably.
3: Yeah, we'd have nothing to play for, but for entirely different reasons.
2: (laughs) Pride. Pride. (laughs) (laughs) Fucking pride. Be on a different beach, but we'd still be on the beach. Mm.
3: Uh, it is interesting that
2: we'll it looks come like
3: come this. Come we come. might have a we might have a you know um, a part to play in the title race, the the push for Champions League spot, and the relegation battle in the next three games.
1: That's true. I mean, yes, we didn't affect the title race against Liverpool. If we do miraculously get a point or more against Man City and that could decide the title if you can't win it affect it
3: that's what they say that's what they say it's the famous saying if you can't win it affect it
2: yeah have you said (laughs) we need that on a flag for Fergus (laughs) pin that up on your dressing room wall (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Feels like a slogan you'd find in Pro Evo that's been sort of translated from Japanese <laughs> into English and doesn't quite make sense. But <laughs> <laughs> perfect match contest. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Let's leave it there.
1: Uh we'll do our best to um to do another podcast next week, but we'll see. Maybe we'll maybe we'll be back in 2026. Um <laughs> But in the meantime, thank you very much, Paul Dolan. Thank you. Thank you, Dave Watson. Thank you. And thank you to you, the Newcastle Nassau listener. Goodbye. If you want to advertise on or sponsor this show, check us out at playbackmedia.co.uk.
0: Sports Social Podcast Network. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring.
1: Laundry? <sighs>